In our ongoing study through the book of Acts, we come to one of the great farewells in Scripture. It's equal to, if not surpassing, that of Jacob and his sons, of um, Moses and Joshua, and even that of Jonathan and David. And I think most of us, uh, particularly in this area of Southern California, at least many of us can draw upon our own experiences. Uh, perhaps you've pulled up roots to move to a new city, uh, finding yourself driving around the block, you know, to wave one final farewell. I know Linda and I have experienced that in our own life, and we've experienced it many other times through the, the ministry that we're involved in, particularly that with professional athletes because they kind of they tend to come and go. And so we've uh, had our... Uh, you know, we've had our share of farewells that we've been able to identify with. And so as we come to this passage where Paul was about to embark on his farewell journey, so to speak, he's trying to impart some last words to those that he has called to his side, these famous last words. And as I was thinking about this, I came across something that I was given that's uh, on a much less serious note, but uh, I want to share these with you. It's a following list of famous farewells for, as I said, for your potential enjoyment. Final, famous last words. Don't worry, it's fireproof. Okay, think about it for a second. I know it's going to take a little while for it to sink in, but he's probably just hibernating. Famous last words, okay? Hey, what, is that? what does this button do? <laughs> famous last words. Ah, oh, don't worry about it, it's probably just a rash. Are you sure, and we know this in our, are you sure the power's off? Every now and then we like to leave it on just to make a point. Safety. You know, the odds of that happening have to be a million to one. Now, pull the pin and count the what? I wonder where the mother bear is. Famous last words. Hey, don't worry. I've seen this done on TV. Uh, these are the good kind of mushrooms. I'll hold it, and you light the fuse. <laughs> Famous last words. Don't worry, it's strong enough for both of us. Famous last words. Hey, you know what? This doesn't taste right. <laughs> I've experienced this one personally. Nice doggy. <laughs> I went out to a customer once, and they have a big. They had a canine uh, police dog. And the la her last words were, don't worry, the, the dog won't bite you. As it took a chunk out of my backside. So I'm thinking, what does bite mean in English? I, you know, it's, it's like, I like these famous last words. W what duck? All right, and lastly, this one. Hey, now watch this. Good one. Famous last words. Think about it. There's, there's actually a wealth of information there that many of you didn't quite understand. But as you think about it throughout the course of the day and into the week, Wednesday, Thursday, you'll find yourself laughing. And, and that's okay because sometimes that's how long it takes for some of the stuff to set in. Anyway, the point is this. These uh, famous last words have a wealth of information, but nothing to compare with what we'll be looking at in Acts chapter 20, starting with verse 17. A wealth of information that the Apostle Paul, as he is leaving for the last time, this group of people he calls to his side, he wants to to impart to them some famous last words for them to continue to conduct themselves and to live their lives by these words that he's going to share. In Acts chapter 20, we'll start with verse 17 and we read these words. 
and from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, and he called to himself the elders of the church. This is speaking of Paul. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, bound in spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I don't consider my life of any account as dear to myself, in order that I may finish my course in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that all of you, among whom I went about preaching the kingdom, will see my face no more. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on your guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embrace Paul and repeatedly kissed him, especially grieving over the word which he had spoken, that they should see his face no more. And they were accompanying him to the ship. In this particular passage, as we begin to look into it, we'll see that Paul, as he was going to Jerusalem, called the leaders of the church at Ephesus, men that he had gotten to know on a personal basis for three years, preaching the word of God. And uh, we'll see in detail some of the things that he shares with them. But he wanted to impart some words to them. And as I was thinking about this whole idea of these famous last words, or what would you say to a person if you knew that you were never going to see him again this side of eternity? You know, what would you say that would have any profound impact on their life, something that they could take with them and hopefully never forget and to apply in the life that they have ahead without the two of you in the, in, the, in the presence as far as one another is concerned. And as I read these words, I was reminded of the demand in our culture today for expertise. You know, there are so-called experts who for a fee conduct seminars on such things as time management, uh, finances, relationships, investments, the latest technology, etc. And I know that we as a business, uh, my partner and I are inundated by self-proclaimed experts who are going to tell us how we can increase our market share and you know, close more deals, a higher percentage, and lower our overhead and raise our profit or raise our margins and establish another area of a business and you know, diversify into these areas. And what's fascinating about all of it is, is that you know, most of the people that offer these seminars or sell these books make a lot more money in their seminars and books than they ever did actually in their own business. But, uh, you know, it's a whole other story. But usually that's kind of the way it works. 
works. But the point of the matter is this, that anyone who has had any measured level of success or at least can promote themselves of having been successful, there is an audience that can't wait to absorb all that they have to offer so that they too can have the same success they saw in them. Now, the reason I bring this all up is because the same counsel of so-called experts is also sought in the church today, particularly in the area of church growth. You know, there are seminaries who actually teach or have classes on techniques that guarantee potential pastors that then when they have their pastorate, that their seats in their churches will always be filled with people. Actual techniques. And as I thought about that, I thought, wow, isn't that interesting? Because if the Apostle Paul was alive today, he would be one of the most sought-after experts in how to grow a church. I mean, if you think about it, you know, he preached to a handful of people and it became a phenomenon to the point where, you know, it was just bursting at all the seams everywhere that he went. He planted churches and more churches and out of those churches grew other churches. And it was, man, exciting to see what God was doing in this man's life and the success from a human perspective, but more important from God's perspective that he had and what he did. The only problem with having him come to be an expert is that those who would want him to be there are always looking for technique or some kind of four-point program to follow, and that's going to guarantee the end result. We see that all the time. You go to a seminar and say, okay, just give me four, five, or six points. I'm going to apply, and instantly I want to see some results. I want the techniques. The problem is this. It would be full-headed to do that because the Apostle Paul, in these imparting famous last words to those he called to his side did not deal with technique or the externals. He talked about his heart. He talked about a love for Jesus Christ. He talked about a love for the word of God and truth. He talked about a love for those who have never heard the gospel or have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. He talked about his own life as a personal example And so it wasn't a 10-point or 4-point or 3-point or some seminar that's going to deal with the externals. He called them aside and he imparted to him his own very life. And if we want to impart famous last words to someone that we care about, it's important that we realize that the most famous of our last words will be the example that we lived in front of those around us. Talk is cheap. You can say whatever you want to other people, but the Christian life is a life that is one that is expressed verbally with our lips, but it is also one that is lived consistently with our life. If we're going to impart anything that has any lasting eternal value in the lives of those around us, it'll be our godly example. It's like the story that I told you of a man who was in one of our Bible studies, and we're talking about prayer and the example of others in his life. And he told me the story about how one morning, early in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, he got up to go to the bathroom. He was probably 12 years old. And as he walked down the hallway, he saw a light on in the kitchen. And he peeked around the corner and couldn't figure out who would be up at 3 o'clock in the morning and what was going on. And in his kitchen, he saw an example lived out before him. And he saw his dad with a chair in front of him. And on the chair, he had his Bible. And on his knees, he he, he knelt before it. And as he was reading the Bible, he would stop and he would pray for his family, his wife, his children. He would pray for their friends. He would pray for those that he worked with that didn't know the Lord. And he left this lasting impression on his son's life that that he could never get out of. There was a word picture there that no matter what he said, 
and all the lessons that his dad had tried to teach him about right and wrong and following the Lord and trusting in him with all his heart, not leaning on his own understanding, but in all his ways acknowledging him, the truth of the word of God, the faith in the Lord Jesus. I mean, all the things that he taught him, though true, the bigger picture that he left was that word picture that night. He never forgot that, and rightfully so. See, leadership, godly leadership, is always throughout Scripture to be an example. The New Testament teaches the heart of leadership. What we want to leave as a legacy is an example. Jesus reminded his own disciples in John 13, 15. He said, I gave you an example that you should do also as I have done. I have left you an example Luke described his gospel as the record of all that Jesus began to do and teach. The example that he left. The writer of the Hebrews commanded his reader saying, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. There's nothing that will quickly neutralize our expressed faith verbally than living a life that's hypocritical. You know, it's like as a kid, you know, hearing people say, hey, you know what, do, it, do as I tell you to do, not as I do. Well, how foolish is that? Because the one thing that you will do, remember, if some of you remember the, the, the cigarette commercials that they used to have where the man was sitting and he was, he was out with his little boy for the day. And they were walking along a creek and they were walking, walking out in a park. And the next thing you know, it's like you see the little boy, he did everything his dad did. If his dad went like this, he went like that. If his dad picked up and he threw a rock, he picked up and threw a rock. Whatever his dad did, that's what he did. And the final scene was his dad sat down under a tree and he reached for a pack of cigarettes in his pocket. And he pulled one out and he laid the pack of cigarettes down and he began to light up. And the last scene was his little boy reaching over and grabbing the pack of cigarettes. Because that's what dad does. That's what I'll do. Because I want to be like my dad. See, Paul knew that example was critical if he wanted to have people heading in a direction that was pleasing to the Lord. He wanted them to follow in his footsteps because he too was trusting in the Lord with all his heart. He went on to say, Peter exhorted his fellow elders to be examples of the flock. To the Corinthians, Paul wrote, I exhort you therefore be imitators of me. Could you imagine that kind of boldness to say, you do what I do. You be imitators of me, and if you do that, you're going to be all right with God. How many of us today, in clear conscience before God, can look and say, you know what, I want the people around me to do exactly as I do, and I know if they do, that they're going to be okay, because I am sold out to Jesus Christ and the Word of God. Become imitators of us and the Lord, he told those in Thessalonica. His advice to Timothy was on how to be a leader was, in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. This passage in Acts 20 gives insight into Paul's ministry. But it's not external. It has to do with being an example to others around him. And from these famous last words, we're going to learn much about how we as believers today in the Lord Jesus Christ are to conduct ourselves so that at the end of the day, the legacy that we leave is this. You know what? I want to be just like him. I want to be just like her. Because they were like Jesus. Isn't that great? That's powerful stuff. 
So he's going to give them an overview. He's going to first review their, the past that he had with them. He's going to give them a testimony of the present. And then he's going to give them some warnings, some very practical warnings about the future. And we'll break it up and look at it uh, from that standpoint. So the first thing that he does is, in verses... Uh, 18 through 21, he reminds them of the past relationship that he has with them. Look at these words again in 18 through 21. He says, And when they had come to him, he said to him, said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, with trials, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews, and how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. And teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was certainly not a man who dwelled on the past. In fact, if you know anything about the book of Philippians, he wrote to them and said, Hey, you know what? I account my past as rubbish for the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He said, Forgetting what lies behind, I press on to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I don't dwell on the past. I live in the present. I look forward to what God will do in the future. But at the same time, I want to, in my farewell words to you, remind you of the past... So that what I'm telling you about the present and the future, you recognize I got some credibility with you. So, so we're gonna t- I'm going to talk to you about the past. He says, you yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time. You know, the people that he was talking to had observed his ministry during those three years in that city, and they had firsthand knowledge. It's the same thing he said to those in Thessalonians, First Thessalonians 2. He says, you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you wasn't in vain, never coming with flattering speech, as you know, with a pretext for greed, God is witness. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly, uprightly, and blamelessly we behave towards you, just as you knew how we exhorted you and encouraged you, implored you, just as a father would his own children. And what he was saying to them was, he reminded them, they had firsthand knowledge of his ministry. And it was important for him to reiterate that because what had happened was the enemies that would come in or the opposition that would come in would want to somehow or another destroy Paul's credibility. And so anytime someone came in, they began to speak badly of him. They began to tear him, tear him apart, tear him down, accuse him of things that weren't true. Hey, he was in it for the money. He's no different than any other shuckster guy that comes into town. He was in it for the money. He was in it for the fame. He was in it for the popularity. He was in it for his own position in life. Uh, what he was teaching you wasn't true. And they would begin to tear down his credibility. And what he was warning them was saying, listen, you know what? Don't you allow anyone to say anything about me that isn't true without you first remembering and examining the evidence that's there. It's a very important principle for every one of us, and that's this. Never jump to a conclusion about another person based on what you hear someone say without examining all the evidence and the facts. It is foolish for a man to give an answer to a matter without hearing all the evidence. Foolishness. And I see people today who are, who are just like, you know, tossed to and from. They hear one thing from one person, they believe everything they said. They hear another thing from another person, they believe everything they said. A friend of mine and I are going through a discipleship time through the book of Proverbs. And it, and it reminds me of, of, uh, of a foolish person or a gullible person. They believe anything and everything that they hear, no matter who says it, regardless of the credibility or lack of credibility. They, they believe everything. It's like uh, gullible. Uh, a friend of ours this is, uh, was kind of a little bit gullible. But, uh, what, what our, and our daughter wanted to point it out to him in some ways. And so she was doing her homework one night and we were all sitting around watching a football game or whatever, and she said, hey, so-and-so, she didn't use, well, she used the name, I won't, but they said, hey, you know, I can't, I can't believe this, they, they've taken the word gullible out of the dictionary, and, I, you know, and half paying attention, not paying attention, looked over and said, really, why? 
Think about it. Wednesday, that's going to be hilarious. It's like, why? Oh, you know. But the point is, it's like, you know, we, we, don't, we can't believe everything that people say. We've got to look at the facts, examine the evidence. And from a ministry standpoint, I can just tell you from a personal account, Linda and I have had our fair share, or not fair share, but at least our share, when sometimes we think it's more than our fair share, but uh, the, the reality of it, uh, let's put it this way, we have had our uh, experiences in the matter of people jumping to conclusions without examining the evidence. Look at the evidence. Look at the facts. Look at the fruit of a person's ministry before you come to a conclusion based on what someone says. That's just good counsel. Now, we have got to the point in our life where uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 gives great insight as to how to deal with that. And we're told that our Lord Jesus Christ entrusted himself to God. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he was insulted, he did not cast insults in return. But he trusted himself to God the Father, who judges righteously. When I'm asked a question, I'll be glad to answer it. But I don't run around to, to anybody and everybody that may have a problem with me and try to explain who I am, what I'm all about, what God's called me to do, what ministries I'll... You know, I, I just don't have time for it. And it's not that important because if somebody doesn't like me, they're not going to like me regardless of the evidence because they're not examining the evidence. So why spend any time running around to do it? Now, I know if a brother is offended by me, according to Matthew 18 or whatever, you go to that person and you try to reconcile with that person. You try to change their mind about what it is that they believe. But after that, you know what? It's in God's hands and you just move on and stay focused on what God has called us to do. See, I've learned that in ministry, when you're dealing with other people, if you're worried about what other people think of you, you'll never do what God wants you to do. You'll go crazy trying to please people. And you know what? The only person that really matters one day is, did we please the Lord with our lives? And it goes to motive. I want you to see this. Paul's motive, as he explains to them, was very simple. He said, I, my motive, because question was motive, hey, are you in it for the money, are you in it for popularity, are you in it for the, you know, something that you're getting some benefit from? He said, hey, man, I'm just going to tell you, my motive in everything I did was to serve the Lord. We served you, and in doing so, we served the Lord Jesus Christ. Our motive was pure. It was to serve the Lord, is what he's saying. My motive in coming here was to serve the Lord and to be used by him to do what he has called me to do. Notice what he said. He served the Lord with, look, verse 19, with what? Humility. We're going to see that in a second. I want to share something with you that I believe that if you apply this in your life, it's going to free you up. How many of you have ever struggled with feeling unappreciated by people? Now I got some attention. Preach it, brother. Let me write this down. What are you saying? How many of you ever felt unappreciated by your spouse? Amen. Amen. Praise you. Oh, no, your spouse is with you. Just, we know. The good thing is you both raise your hand at the same time. Yes. That worked out good. How many of you have ever felt unappreciated by your boss at work? Hey, your boss is there too. Okay, good. How about by your children? Yeah! Nice, nice. Co-workers, teammates, classmates. Oh, we got a little. Oh, we got a basketball team here. Yeah, teammates. There you go. Interesting. In fact, you're the guys that had me digging deep into the Word of God, and I'll tell you why. 
I deal with people all the time who are trying to figure out a way to be motivated. Professional athletes, how you be motivated. I, you know, when, when you're 45 games out of first place and it's August and you're the Angels, you know what I'm saying? You know, how, how, do you, how do you get motivated to finish out the year? You know what I'm saying? I know, like, you know, I, I know some of the guys that I know right now on the Ducks are struggling with, you know, how do you stay motivated? How do you stay motivated when, you know, you don't have a chance because everyone that plays professional sports, their goal is to get to the playoffs. Anybody who plays any sport, the goal is to win, to get to the playoffs, to, to, to somehow or another achieve that, you know, to, to grab that trophy, whatever it is, whatever sport that it is. That's the goal. And, and the struggle that we have is, well, what motivates you when that goal is now not only elusive, it is history. What motivates you? And here's what I share. Because this is what motivates me when I don't feel appreciated by people. In Colossians 3, 22 through 24, we read these words. Slaves in all, in, in all things, speaking of employees in this case, employee-employer relationship for a cultural understanding. Slaves in all things obey those who are your masters on earth. Not with external service, as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, you do your work heartily as for the Lord, rather for men. Because knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, it is the Lord Jesus Christ whom you serve. If you want to make a powerful statement in your family, in your place of business, on your team, in your community, at your office. A powerful testimony is that whatever you do, you do heartily as unto the Lord, for it is the Lord Jesus Christ whom you serve. And I'll tell you what, that'll free you up. It'll change your attitude. It'll change your anger. It'll change your bitterness. Because every time you go out and any effort that you put in, it is an aroma, a sacrifice, a sweet-smelling aroma in the very nostrils of our God who says, you know what? I see what you're doing, and I will reward you one day. For God is not unjust to reward those who have faithfully served Him in this life. And sometimes we forget that even in those, quote, simple ways that we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Be excellent at what you do. And it's amazing the testimony, the doors that will open. How can you stay motivated? Your team's 40 games out of first place. You have no chance to get to the playoffs. How do you stay motivated? You know, you could say, well, this is what I do for a living. I'm a professional, which is true. The other side of it is I'll tell you why. Because I believe I have a responsibility to, the, to God who has given me the gifts that he has given me, the ability that I have. He has put me where he's put me. And my responsibility is to be excellent in all that I do because it's the Lord Jesus Christ whom I serve. And I'll tell you, when you forget that, you will be mired in bitterness and resentment and you'll be frustrated and you won't want to continue or carry on. But man, when you keep that in focus, you will never, ever lose sight again of why you do what you do. Because man doesn't appreciate anything. Let me tell you something. We're in Pennsylvania in August. And the Pittsburgh Steelers were playing in exhibition games. And every newspaper reporter and every person in the city of Pittsburgh wanted Cordell Stewart hung, dragged out of town, and dropped into three rivers. Now, he's the greatest athlete that ever lived. 
His team's in the playoffs today. He's the greatest athlete. The same people want to kill him four months ago, think he's the greatest athlete. And let me tell you something. And the same people think he's the greatest athlete today, next time he messes up. And if they don't win today, they'll want to kill him. Drag, well, drag him first, then kill him, then drop him in the river. I mean, that is the way people are. So let's all understand that if we're here to please people, you're going to be very frustrated throughout the course of your life. But if you're here to do what God has called you to do and you dedicate your service to him, you know what? You'll be able to do it with a joyful heart. That was Paul's motive. I came because I came to serve the Lord, not because I wanted anything in return from you. One day, I'm looking forward to my Savior saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. That's what I'm looking for. The manner in which he did it was with all humility. Notice what he said. I was humble back in Acts chapter 20. With humility and with tears and with trials. He said he was humble. You know, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That is still true. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Humble yourselves. What does God require of man? That we do justly, we love mercy, and what? We walk humbly with our God. He is God, we are not. He deferred all glory to Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, and rightfully so. He was there to serve them in humility. It wasn't about him. It was about the Lord Jesus Christ. He did so with tears because he cared about people. He cared about those who were lost and were on their way to hell, condemned by God because of sin in their life. He, he, he mourned. He wept over them. He wept over believers who knew the Lord Jesus Christ and yet were not trusting in him fully in the day-to-day -day conduct of their lives. Those who were ensnared in sin and, and entrapped by it. He wept for them. He wept for those who didn't know the Lord. He wept for those who knew the Lord and weren't obedient in their life and were suffering consequences. And he wept for those who were being deceived by deceitful winds of doctrine because they didn't know the word of God and didn't have it as their standard, their anchor to go back to. The guy cared about people. And let me tell you something about that. As men, you know what? It is foolishness when the world tells us that we can't weep or mourn or show emotion. Over sin, we better. Over the lost, we better. Over those who are disobedient in their walk, we better. Over those who are being led astray by deceitful doctrine, we better. Because I'll tell you what, it's a quality of a godly man who can weep as Jesus wept over sin as he stood before Jerusalem and said, Oh, if you'd only known, if you'd only trusted in me, the kingdom could have been ushered in today, but you rejected me as your Savior, and he wept for them. He wept at Lazarus' tomb over, the, over the, just the, the hurt that sin has caused all of humanity and the consequences of it. For the soul that sins shall surely die. But he wept and he showed his emotions. And I deal with guys all the time who hide and hurt and they don't want to show their emotions. And you know what? And God would just free them up if they would just trust in the Lord. But that was that. And more importantly, as we look at this, he also shared the message. Notice what he says. The message was widely known to everybody. Notice what he said when he said, Hey, I didn't shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. What's profitable? All scriptures inspired by God. And what? Profitable. For teaching, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, the man of God may be adequately equipped to do what God wants us to do. He says, I didn't shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. His message was widely known. If you remember... Uh, uh, Demetrius, the silversmith, went before all the people that were in the silver, silversmith or silver-making idol business and said, hey, 
If we don't shut this guy up, our city's going to be turned upside down because what? He declares the truth and people are coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and those who are coming to faith in Christ aren't buying the idols anymore because they're going, hey, that's stupid to worship an idol when we can worship God himself. Cut out the middleman. So they knew what kind of reputation he had. He didn't shrink back. The word shrink back means this, to withhold from, from others what they need to hear as far as the message of God is concerned. And let me tell you something. There are a whole bunch of church growth experts in our world today that are telling pastors you can't preach the full counsel of God because we've done demographic studies and we've done you know, this survey and that survey and people don't want to hear that they're sinners. People want to hear they're okay. People want to hear they do what they do and that's okay because you do what you do and I do what I do and we all do what we do and we're all messed up. And people want to hear I'm okay, you're okay. They don't want to hear, hey, you're on the way to hell and so am I. But that's the truth of the word of God. The full counsel of God says this. Hey, look, if you don't know you've offended God, you are not going to go to him and seek his forgiveness. If you don't know the standard of God, the laws of God, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt, you know, honor your mother and father, you know, thou shalt not lie. If you don't know what God says is his standard of perfection and that you violated it, you think you're okay and you ain't okay. You think you're all right, but you are on the road to destruction for many are on that road and are traveling it every day. And the reason that God has given us his, his laws is so that you can see, and I can see, that we fall short and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There are none righteous, no, not one. Every one of us have turned our back on God and as a result, we are on the way to hell. Unless there is a miraculous intervention on the part of God through the Lord Jesus Christ, his death on the cross on our behalf, the power of his resurrection to indicate he can give eternal life and forgives of sin, if you don't receive him and accept him as your savior, you are going to go to hell. No one wants to hear that. But the reality of it is, it's true, and that's the message that God has entrusted. And so what Paul said to them was, I didn't soft sell any of this stuff. I didn't back down on what God has told me to share. And what he said was this. He said, it is profitable, and I was teaching you publicly and from house to house. I preached it publicly. I lived it privately. I spoke to anybody, no matter where they were. I told them the truth of the message of God. And he went and he says this, testifying to both Jews and Greeks. Hey, you know what? There was no, for God so loved the world, the world, all of the world, that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him won't perish but have everlasting life. He didn't withhold that message from anybody because every person is eligible for forgiveness that comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He told it to the Jews. He told it to the Gentiles. He told it to people he liked. He told it to people he disliked. He did not see. He didn't see color. He didn't see economics. He didn't see social standing. He didn't see anything. He preached the word of God in his full counsel because he preached them what? Repentance towards God. The message of God to the world today is the same as it was then, that God has commanded the world to repent. Repentance means have a change, of, a change of mind, a change of heart, and a change of will toward yourself, your own sinfulness. I'm okay. No, you're not. That's a change of, of mind. Change of heart has to do with direction and leading. I'm going to turn from sin. I'm going to turn to God. 
That's not enough. Repentance isn't enough. God, forgive me for my sin. That's not enough. Repentance towards God and what? And belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Remember, for with the mouth he confesses, with the heart he he believes to be saved, both have to take place. Repent and believe. And that's what he said. And so he went through the motive, he went through the manner, he went through the message, and now he gets up to, um, you know, the, the present testimony that he has, and he's saying that, hey, you know what, you know that this is true, and now I'm going to tell you a little bit about the, uh, the present. In verse 20, he kind of goes through and gives six graphic word pictures as far as what people can relate to. He takes some professions, actually, and he identifies with them by saying this in verse 22. And now, behold, bound in my spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what's going to happen to me, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and affliction awaits me. He said, you know what? I'm on my way to Jerusalem, and I know that I'm going to be persecuted there, but I'm going to do it anyway, and I'm going to tell you why. Because, number one, he says this. He has taken into account, verse 24, I don't consider my life of any account as dear to myself. He was saying that, hey, if you're an accountant, you know because you, you look at the balance sheet every day. Liabilities, assets, you weigh them, you just make decisions based on them. It's like, okay, what direction are we going to go in the future? He says, you know what, I took everything into account and I came to this conclusion that I have no choice but to follow the Lord Jesus Christ in my life. Give me an example. Remember one time when Jesus was preaching to the multitudes and he was saying that, you know, I'm the bread of heaven, uh, bread that has come down out of heaven. Unless you partake of me, you cannot be saved. And when the people heard it, the crowd heard it, they went, ooh, that's disgusting. Talking about eating his body. What was that all about? That's gross. And they turned and they walked away. And they didn't follow him anymore. And Jesus looked at his disciples and said, oh, you're going to go too? And they thought about it. They took into an account and they said, well, you know what? No. Because you have the words of eternal life. There's nowhere else to go. There's no one else to follow. There's no one else to listen to. I've taken this into an account. I've thought it through carefully. I've considered all of it. Many of us, I'm going to ask you the question, when was the last time that you've actually sat down and took a serious an accounting of your walk with the Lord and your life in Christ? What He has to offer where He called you from, where He's brought you from, where He's leading you. Take a a good, hard look at your life and say, you know what? Man, you know, there is nobody else worth following in life. Nobody else died on the cross for my sins. Nobody else rose from the dead. No one else can offer eternal life. No one else has changed my life as the Lord Jesus did. And when I consider all that evidence, you know what? I consider the fact that I don't have a choice. I'm going to follow Him. It's a no-brainer. The second thing He used was an illustration of a runner where he says that I don't consider my life of any account as dear to myself in order that I might finish the course or run the race. He considered his life that he was a runner, he was an athlete. He was saying, hey, you know what, when I consider that I've started, that the Lord Jesus Christ has paid my entry fee, I'm in the race, and so now that I'm in it, I'm going to run to finish it. And when he got to the end of his life, if you recall, he told Timothy, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the course, I've kept the faith. I've run the race. Hebrews says, therefore since, we, uh, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the pain and despised the shame. And it says, consider him who drew such hostility from men. So that when we consider Him, we don't grow weary and we don't grow faint. 
We're in a race. It's a marathon. But we need to be committed and dedicated to finishing the race. That's what he said. I'm going to finish what God has started in my life as far as I'm concerned. But I know that he is going to finish that which he has begun. Third thing he used was the word steward. Or stewardship has to do with managing another person's assets. He says, in the ministry which I received, the words I received indicated that something that God had given him, I received this ministry from the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a steward. Do you realize that everything that you have is a gift from God? That's why you serve him wholeheartedly as unto the Lord. Your ability to do what you do, to make a living, to play any kind of sport, any of those things, our abilities that we have to think, to reason, to work, to, to be active, everything that we have, we owe to him. And we're a steward of his resources. And he said, I don't have a choice because this is what he wants me to do. The fourth thing he says that he's a witness or a testimony. I'm, I'm here as a testimony, or as a witness. You know, if you've come to faith in Christ, I want you to understand something that will also change the, every day of your life, and that's this. That you are called upon the witness stand by the Lord Jesus Christ to testify what he has done in your life. To all that he brings into your path. You are a testimony or a witness of the, of the glory of God. Why has he called us from darkness to light? Why has he brought you into eternal life? Why has he adopted you into his family as a child of God? Why are you a new creature? Old things pass away, all things become new. Do you want to have a purpose in life, a great purpose? It is to go around the world in the arena God's given you and testify of the goodness of him who has called you from darkness to light. God has called us out of darkness into light so that we can proclaim his excellencies to the world around us. That's what he was all about. That's what he did. You want some famous last words? Take a look at some of these. How about a herald? A herald is a messenger who was told to deliver a message. A herald does not change the message. A witness is one who testifies of what happens to him personally. A herald is one who goes and tells somebody what the message, what the message is that was given to him by the messenger. So he's saying that I'm a herald. I came to you and delivered God's message. I didn't soften it up. I didn't sweeten it up. I didn't tell you what you wanted to hear because that's what you wanted to hear and that would make you feel good. And I didn't withhold that's what, what didn't want you, you didn't want to hear because it was convicting as far as sin was concerned. I declare to you the whole counsel of God because I didn't have a choice. It would be like a, you know, a Western Union person coming to your house saying, hey, you know what, this is bad news. I don't think I'm going to share it. Can you imagine the, the ignorance of that? You know, you work for, you know, a messenger service and you have a message and you go to deliver it to the person and all your job is is to just read the message, explain the message. Now, you can do it with compassion, you can do it with some sensitivity, but you can't change the words of the message. I can imagine a person who has to go to someone's home and said, I'm sorry, sir or ma'am, your son has been killed or your daughter has been killed in his service or her service to this country. And for that, we thank you. And you know you don't want to tell them that. But you can't say something else because nothing else is true. Just because people don't want to hear they're sinners doesn't mean we can't help them to see the truth of God's word and explaining it in a way that's reasonable and rational. Just because people don't want to believe there's a hell doesn't preclude the fact that there is a hell and that it does exist. Because people don't want to believe that God would judge people doesn't mean we withhold the fact that God is a righteous judge. And he, you know, the world's condemned already. God has already judged the world. And at the same time, they need to hear that before they can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Bad news, good news. Bad news, you're a sinner. Bad news, you're on the way to hell. Bad news, you know what? There's no hope in and of yourself. Bad news, you can't work your way to heaven. Bad news, bad news, bad news. But the good news is, but God loves you anyway. 
And he sent his only begotten son into the world to die upon the cross for your sins. And whoever believes in him, his death on their behalf and the power of his resurrection, you become a child of God to those who believe in his name. All the bad news now is nothing but good news. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the greatest news that anyone can hear. And he was a herald. He was a messenger of God. And that's the message that he had to deliver. The same message that you and I, who know Jesus Christ, have trusted him as our Savior, are to deliver to those around us. And the last one is he was a watchman. He was always alert. He was always ready. He was telling a man, you know what, be ready because if you're not on the alert, then uh, anything can happen. And I like that. He was telling the leaders of the church, he was saying, watch out. He was saying, be on guard. He was saying, hey, you know what, I need to, you know, I'm up at night, man. It's like, uh, if any of you saw Survivor, you know, they had those guys and gals up in the middle of the night watching to make sure the lions didn't eat them. That, you know, I'm thinking that, you know, you hear a lion going, you're not going to fall asleep. You know what I'm saying? Or it's like that joke, I mean, some of you probably heard it about the two guys that are out hiking. And as they were hiking, they came across the bear. And this bear was just like, just right on top of them. And the one guy sat down real quick, grabbed his backpack, he started putting on running shoes, he was putting on the shoes. And his other buddy goes, hey man, we'll never outrun that bear. He said, I'm not worried about the bear, all I gotta do is outrun you. <laughs> Same thing, but, but different. <laughs> Okay, last thing is this. So he did the past, did the present, and now he goes to the future. And the future, if you want to leave some wise words for anyone that you love and you care about, I'll tell you what, this is as wise as it gets. Be on guard. Be on your guard. Notice what he says. Be on guard for yourselves and for the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Be on guard. And I love this. This verse is another powerful, another powerful statement of the deity of Jesus Christ. Follow this real clear, very carefully. Be on your guard for yourselves and all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his blood. The church of God which he purchased with his blood. Who shed his blood for the church? The Lord Jesus Christ. And yet at the same time, the Bible clearly says that it's God's church. God's church is the Lord Jesus Christ's church. And the reason is simple, because he and the Father are one. Jesus Christ is God. There's no denying it throughout Scripture, no matter what people do when they come and knock on your door and say that Jesus isn't God. Jesus Christ is clearly God throughout the Word of God, and there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He warns them to be on guard. You know, one thing before we get to these last couple of items... I want to go back to verse 26 for a second. Notice what he says. He said, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink from declaring you the whole purpose of God. We all need to understand that we are not responsible for how people respond to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are merely responsible to share it with them. If they receive him as Savior, we praise God. If they reject him as Savior, we keep praying for him and keep sharing with him and keep trying to reach him for Christ's sake and their sake because they are lost and condemned. But he said this, and I want to ask you a question, and you ask yourself this. Can you in good conscience before God say that I can tell you clearly that I am innocent of the blood of men? For every person that you brought into my life, I shared the gospel with them my family, my friends, my teammates, my neighbors, my co-workers. Don't live a life of regret. 
one of the guys that played for the Angels I mentioned, I think, before, that he said the biggest regret that he ever had in professional sports was not sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with the guy that he dressed next to for a year. Because after they were done playing together and because of a result of, of something that took place in baseball, that guy went out and blew his brains out. He never got over his failure as an athlete, and he blew his brains out. And the guy that sat next to him for a year never once told him, hey, man, you know what? This is just baseball. There's a bigger issue here. God loves you whether you throw strikeouts. God loves you whether you knock down threes. God loves you whether you throw you know, touchdown passes. God loves you whether you make a ton of money in business, whether you're successful there. God loves you whether you have degrees or no degrees. Let me tell you something. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son to die for you. He loves you just as you are in rebellion against him and running from him, but he loves you anyway. And he said the biggest regret of his life was that he never took two minutes to share with him the love of God that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said, Hey, I have no regrets because every person, God, you brought into my life, I shared your message with them. I did not shrink back. I did not hesitate. I did not cower. I did not, you know, chicken out. I told him what you wanted me to tell him because I told him the full counsel of God. He says, Be on your guard. And we'll close with this. And he said basically five things. Number one, he says, be on your guard against callousness and, and, and carelessness. And carelessness in verse 31 has to do with, he says, uh, therefore be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one of you. Man, he's like, hey, you know what? Don't be careless in your walk with the Lord. I talk to more people that fall into sin because they get careless in their personal walk with the Lord. They don't have accountability with other believers. They're not in the Word of God. They don't have an active, viable prayer life. They're not, they're not concerned about them ever. That'll never happen to me. As, oh, I can put that down, famous last words. That'll never happen to me. Oh, really? Carelessness. Take heed where you stand, lest you too shall fall. He's saying, remember that. The second thing was he warned them about the sin of shallowness. In verse 32, it says, I commend you to God in the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I commend you to God. What's your personal relationship with God really like? How much time do you spend with him? How much time do you spend in his word? How much time do you spend in prayer? How much time do you spend in, the, with, in fellowship with other believers and accountability with others, stimulating others to love and good deeds, not forsaking your own assembling together? How, what, what's your personal walk with the Lord like? Because really, your personal walk with the Lord is all that really matters when it comes to you know, not only your relationship, but whether you'll fail or you'll fall into sin. You know, we need to recognize and understand it's what we are behind closed doors with nobody else around. And nobody else looking is who we truly are. Not what anybody else sees. What do you like when nobody else is looking but God, who sees all things? He said, I want to just part some famous last words. Don't be careless. Don't be shallow in your walk with the Lord. Develop your relationship with Him. He says, also, you know what? Don't become greedy or or coveting. He says, I didn't covet anybody's silver. I didn't covet their gold. I didn't covet their clothes. He said, hey... See these hands? I worked with my own hands. 
so that those who come and say, I'm in it for the money, we immediately discredit anything that they have to say. I took nothing from you. I wanted nothing from you other than to serve the Lord. You see my hands? You remember I was out there working day and night to provide for myself and those who were with me. So nobody can say that I had ulterior motives. There was no appearance of evil in my life. Saying that as we serve others, we have to make sure that we are clean before God and before man, that no one can accuse us of any ulterior motives. And you know what's beautiful about it? Then they're forced to listen to the message we're sent to deliver. If they can discredit the messenger, then they somehow or another can blow off the message. But if you can't discredit the messenger, you're stuck with dealing with the message. And that's a wonderful place to be. Also, he says, hey, avoid the sin of laziness. The sin of laziness. In verse 34, you yourselves know these hands ministered my own needs and to the men who were with me to be diligent, working day and night. And the last thing he said is, avoid the sin of selfishness. Avoid the sin of selfishness. Be a giver. Notice what he says, and this is important. He says, in everything I showed you about but working hard in this manner, you must help the weak. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. I want to I make this point very clear, because this is exciting. Paul recognized that Jesus had said that. We find it here in the book of Acts, but you will find it nowhere in the Gospels. And the reason that's so important is this, is that it shows you how carefully God has given to us the written word of God. That what he wants us to know in writing, he clearly has given that to us. There were many other words that Jesus spoke, as there were many other signs that Jesus did, according to John chapter 20. And and, and in John 20, you will read that, you know what, all the books of the world couldn't contain everything that we learned when Jesus was here on this earth. All the books in the world can contain everything that he did. But what God has restricted to written form is what he wants us to know. There is nothing missing. Genesis is the beginning. Revelation is the end. It's the full counsel of God. We've got everything that God wants man to know, and he's given it to us in written form, and we are without excuse. He said, it's more blessed to give than receive. And I want want you to notice in closing this, and when he said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. He imparted to them what he wanted them to know and what God wanted them to know and us to know. And it says, And they began to weep aloud and embrace Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they should see his face no more. Man, wouldn't it be wonderful, a legacy to have, that when you were out of the life of another person, they actually mourned that departure? Some of us, I'm afraid... They'd be holding the door open. But to have that kind of impact where they mourned your departure because of the investment that you've made in their life. We need to become people that when people leave us or we leave them, that we leave something that's so godly and so precious that they'll miss us this side of eternity. But we can take comfort and confidence in knowing this, that when we're absent from the body, those of us who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, repented of sin and believed upon Him, Though we're absent from the body, we'll be present with the Lord. And you know what? Though we may never see one another this side of eternity, we have a reunion to look forward to that you've never seen anything like it, and I can't even begin to describe it. But I'll tell you what, that day is going to be an awesome day for those who are in Christ. Are you in Christ? Have you become a new creature? Are you born again? Today is the day of the Lord. Today is the day of the Spirit. Give Him your heart today. Father, thank you for the Word. We just thank you for the clarity of your message that we are all sinners. 
that we all fall short of your glory, that none are righteous, no, not one. And that each one of us are condemned as we come into this world. But we praise you and thank you that that's not the end of it, that you tell us that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Lord, what compelling love that is that you would send your Son to die on the cross for us who are in rebellion against you. That you say if we believe in him, that we repent of our sin and throw ourselves upon your mercy, turn from sin and turn to you, and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, his death on the cross in our place, his resurrection from the dead, indicating that he is alive, that he can forgive sin and also give the eternal life that he promises. You tell us if we receive him as our Savior, that we become children of God to those who believe in his name. And Lord, I just thank you for that. May we never forget that. And may we walk in a manner that's worthy of our calling after we've come to faith in you in such a way that the greatest legacy that we leave those around us is that we lived out our faith, that we were not hypocritical, we didn't talk out of both sides of our mouth, that what you saw and what you heard is what you got. And we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.